Welcome to a special edition of the Underground Bunker Podcast. I'm Tony Ortega, and I'm currently covering the Danny Masterson trial in Los Angeles. Just as trial began on October 11, we created a stir when we reported that we'd spotted a known Scientology spy in the hallway at the courthouse. The next day, we confirmed that this known operative was on the witness list, but for the prosecution. We think chances are good that if this witness is actually called to the stand, it will be soon. And so we wanted to review why we say he's known to have done surveillance for the Church of Scientology. And so we asked our good friend and former Scientology Sea Org official, Mark Headley, to join us for this special episode. Mark Headley, I, I had to have you back on the podcast because of breaking events, breaking news. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles covering the Danny Masson trial. And uh, last week I had something really interesting happen. I spotted somebody in the hallway uh, going into the courtroom with the prosecutor and recognized who that was. I didn't tell people who that was initially, um, but his name did show up on the witness list. One of the things I told people was that this person was involved in an operation against an ex-Scientologist years ago. And now I want to describe what that was. I was talking about a man named Eric Geisler, who I first learned about from you 11 years ago at the Village Voice. Mark Headley, thank you for being on the podcast again. Thanks for having me, Tony. <laughs> oh my uh, goodness, what a wild ride. I mean, uh, when you first posted that thing, um, I don't remember what I was doing that day, but I started getting texts and emails from all sorts of people saying, hey, um, I was reading this thing on Tony Ortega's site and I think it might be somebody you know. And I'm just like, what? Uh, okay. Anyway, then I obviously I read what you wrote and then I was like, oh my God, that's gotta be Eric. Like who else could it be? It's gotta be Eric. Well, let's take and, people back. Um, let's take people back to what, I mean, it's, it's, it's 2011. I'm still at the Village Voice. I've already written about your book, Blown for Good. Um, and at that time to remind people Marty Rathbun had this great blog, and one of the things he was doing is he was publishing actual Scientology spying program documents, and that's yeah. how we learned we learned detail details about the spying operations against Chuck Beatty and Tori Chrisman and the journalist Richard Laby. I mean, there was so much amazing stuff, and of course, one that I was really intrigued by was the documents about your the spying operation against you came out. Remind me what we found out about in that, in those documents. Well, basically when I was um, first, when I first uh, escaped from the Ant base in 2005, I went to Kansas city and that's where my dad lived. And I was working there. We got Claire and I had a condo. We basically were all set up in Kansas city. I was contacted by another person who had escaped from the Imp base. And he said, hey, I've got this job for you uh, in LA if you want it. And this is Eric Geisler. Now, I've known Eric Geisler. I've actually known him longer than anyone else besides my family in terms of 
you know, acquaintances or how, how long I've known somebody when we first moved to California in 1979, like December, um, my parents started working at this like makeup slash accessories company, like a girl's fashion accessories company. And that company was owned by Eric's parents. And so my mom and my dad worked for his parents and we would go over to their house and we would hang out. And then Eric was, Eric was maybe a few years older than me. And, um, so we would play while my parents were over there working or talking or meeting or whatever, and we'd hang out. Okay. So fast forward, um, that's like 1980. Over the years, we would our paths would cross all over the place. And then in the mid-80s, my mom, her boyfriend was Eric's uncle. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, um, and my dad worked for that guy now. He didn't work for Eric's parents anymore. Now he worked for Eric's uncle. And anyway, whatever, um, I ended up going to Delphi. Eric went to Delphi, Oregon. He knew all these Delphi, Oregon people. Um, and then I ended up joining the Sea Org in uh, 89, ended up going to the Imp base in 1990. And then who shows up at the Imp base? Eric Geisler. He, sh he actually joined the Sea Org and he worked at the Imp base. I want to say uh, early 90s. I don't remember exactly when. Maybe 92, 93, maybe somewhere in there. And then he was there at the Imp base and I worked with him almost every area I worked in. I had some involvement with Eric um, he was over the visual effects department. I was over pre-production for films and videos and then shoot production, then producer. Um, at one point, I was kind of over special effects, like in a supervisory capacity, like check what they're doing. Either way, I known this guy. I've known this guy since 1980. Uh, in our comments section, Techie mentioned that Eric, one of the things Eric was known for at base, and you can tell us if this is true, he, he was, as you say, in, involved in the special effects. And of course, for David Miscavige, those videos and their special effects are very, very important for his, you know, events and stuff. And if you remember, uh, Scientology watchers, uh, I, I've become a connoisseur of those videos of the 90s and 2000s, right? I love them. And, you know, at the events, he would put these big numbers up. And Miscavige would love for there to be a big sound effect, like kajunk, when a big million number would pop up. And Techie said it was Eric whose job it was to put those sounds in those videos. And you knew that it was Eric because he loved these really loud booms and stuff. Well, Does that sound yeah, familiar? That, it's 100%. So the way it went <laughs> was when we were doing these events, um, when, we, when these events were being done in the early, like the late eighties and the early nineties, they were super cheese. Like the production quality was horrible. When Eric and uh, there was another guy named Henning, there was a few key people that started working on these events. And when they started working on the events, the production quality of the events 
started to rise considerably. And, and actually, it was kind of the impetus was all of these professionals, the same people that, that do the Super Bowl and do NFL Monday Night Football and all that good stuff. That same crew is the one who does Scientology's broadcast events. Wow. So, so they have these giant semi trucks that are just filled with video equipment and audio equipment. And they hook up to these cameras all over the, the Shrine Auditorium or Ruth Eckerd Hall in Florida. And all of that stuff goes into this broadcast truck. And the broadcast truck records the event. And then in the, in the 90s, we used to have a satellite truck parked right next to the satellite, uh, the broadcast truck. And then that's how we would uplink the event to all of the Scientology organizations all over the world. Well, the, the, the truck pros basically started to say, this is how we do the Super Bowl. I don't know why we can't do this with you guys. And then, so all of the elements needed to create those sort of effects, Eric was the one who could create those in the visual effects department. And then he would put these insane explosions, like it would be a graph. And then the explosion that would end when the graph would finally get to the top of the, of the, right. of the graphic, right. then he would make an explosion that was not just a little explosion where it landed at the graph. The explosion would literally be bigger than the entire graph. Like it would, <laughs> it would just be just ridiculousness. And right. so it sort of became a funny thing that we would, they would just get done over the top, just completely insane. Okay. That is what Eric would do. He would okay. do the visual effects. Okay. Okay. In 2004, um, we were we were moving away from film and going to computers for all of the media that we we're pushing out to all the Scientology orgs. And because Eric and I knew more about how all these systems worked, we were actually producing the systems, even though it wasn't our job to. And the systems department was kind of like our being our lackeys and just getting whatever we needed and getting equipment and all this sort of thing. And we would program it and we would configure it. And then we would send it out to the Scientology organizations. In 2004, this, uh, an Oregon uh, Scientology organization in South Africa was being opened. I think it was in Joburg, Johannesburg. Either right. way, um, Eric had built the whole computer system, sent it down there. And when they set it up, it didn't work. And he called back to the property, uh, uh, David Miscavige. He was there in South Africa. He called back to the property and he basically talked to Marty, Marty Rathbun. And he said, you might need to go over there and uh, deal with uh, Eric because uh, the system doesn't work. Anyway, so... He comes over, he tells Eric, Eric's like, okay, we'll fix it. We'll, we're going to stay up tonight. We're going to figure out what to do. Okay, great. We're going to fix it. Good, good, good. Uh, basically, if we don't fix it, Marty's going to come back and he's going to, you know, do whatever Marty needs to do to make sure we do it. <laughs> and in those days, that was in 2004. That's basically when the crazy was kind of like at full, like yeah. it was at like 110% on the crazy scale. Well, that was the year the um, whole. That was the year the whole began. Yes, so it was all this craziness is going on, and this is this is like a, most of the way through the year. So it's later. Okay. And um, I want to say it's like late summer or early fall, or maybe even getting, yeah, somewhere around there. 
anyway, so we stay up all night trying to fix this thing. And um, one of the things that Eric was notorious for was we'd all go to bed. The schedule was you'd go to bed at, at midnight and then you'd come in and, and you'd be there at eight. You'd eat breakfast and you start at 830. Well, Eric would routinely stay up till two or three or four or five. And then he'd just come in at lunch. He would sleep in. Uh-huh. That wasn't that wasn't really generally accepted. That doesn't sound very w- Sea man. No, but he was one of these people who was on Dave Miscavige's. Uh, he was doing stuff for David Miscavige, uh-huh. and so he was kind of he was a tad off limits in terms of like the rules. He could kind of get away with a lot of stuff. Sounds uh, like uh, not, sounds like sounds like he was a little caca. Uh, he did have some serious cacon and him and three other people were actually legitimately like off limits to anybody could mess with. Okay. Um, because Dave had basically told them, these guys are my people. No one mess with them. Wow. Eric was one of those four people. Okay. Okay. So the film system goes awry. Marty comes to see us. Basically, if we don't get this figured out by tomorrow, the heads are going to roll. And this was a time period where even if you are one of Dave's boys, you could not be Dave's boy tomorrow. Right. That, that could that could be over pretty quick. Yeah. Anyway, so so the next day we stay up all night. I'm in there first thing in the morning doing stuff. I I don't ha- I don't even have the the ability to just sleep in and come in at lunch every time. I got to be there in the morning. Morning comes, then lunch muster comes, and at lunch muster. Eric is not there. Mm. Now, Eric had missed many a lunch muster up until this point. I'd say maybe 50 that he just didn't show up and he was late and somebody had to go and wake and somebody had to go and wake him up and drag him in. I see. I see. Now, Eric also had a car because Eric was a successful visual effects person before he came to the property, mm. he worked on the Simpsons and uh, Rick and Morty, whatever. He did all kinds of stuff. I think he worked on, I don't remember. He worked on other stuff. I think he worked on Total Recall. Either way, he had a car. When he didn't show up for that lunch muster, I turned to the commanding officer of Golden Era Productions and I told her, he's long gone. Oh, and he was, they got to his house. There was a note. He was long gone. He blew. He had escaped. Okay. Okay. So that's where I don't see Eric again. Okay. So that's 2004. And but but then you escaped just a few months later. That's right. So now after he escapes, they track these people down. Yeah, yeah. And then once they track him down, you sort of find out all about what happened. And the and the story that was being spread around about Eric is that he was a drug addict. Oy. He he was screwing prostitutes in Las Vegas. Now this and is then all, he wa- this is all Scientology lies. We're not actually accusing him of these things, right? 100% this is what's being spread, but we don't know because we don't we have no idea what's happening with Eric. We're just we just know what's being spread around the property. All right. That 
He's doing all this hor- horrible stuff. And then he also, he weighs 400 pounds. Okay. Uh, fast forward. Um, I escape in January of 2005, like right. January 4th or 5th or something like that. Yeah. Anyway. And so I'm in can now I'm in Kansas city. I got a job. All this stuff's happening. Who gets a hold of me? Eric Geisler. He out of there, there was like three people who knew I had an email address that wasn't a Scientology address. Eric was one of the people who knew that address and he emailed me. Okay. And as soon as he emailed me, I was like, oh, this is a total setup. <laughs> like the, this guy's a spot. And uh, so I was very weary. And sure enough, he's like, are you kidding me, dude? I've known you longer than anybody. Come on. What the fuck? We've known each other since like 1980. I'm not a spy. It's it's literally 25 years later. Right. In 2005, since I first met Eric. Okay. So he says, oh, I got this really cool job, all this kind of stuff. I'm working at this production company. You can come work here. Uh, you can do all the same stuff you were doing at at the base um, that you were doing with visual effects. You could do that here, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I end up moving to LA, staying with Eric at his condo in Toluca Lake until I can get a place. And I'm living with him and working at the same production company that he works at. Eventually, Claire moves to LA. We get an apartment. Um, you know, things go on. We end up getting a house from a guy that Eric knows. And that guy, this is crazy. This is a total crazy thing too. But the landlord of the house had also been to the int base, not a Scientologist. He was a software salesman. He sold visual effects software to the Scientology compound. Hmm. to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of software. Wow. So he had been to the property and he'd actually been to the property. Like when there's like a huge flap and David Miscavige said, why doesn't everybody who's working on this, have this software, get everyone this software right now. And so this software guy had to come up there and sell, you know, $200,000 worth of software to the Scientology people overnight and, uh, and convince them, ironically that they were getting the deal of the century when I think he actually was giving them a higher price than that they normally paid if they just bought it off the website. Anyway, that's a story for another day, but either way, um, I had this house now and Eric would come over all the time and hang out at this house in Burbank and, um, and all kinds of other stuff was happening when we were at Burbank and Claire was particularly like worried that people were watching us and there was weird stuff going on and all kinds of nonsense was happening. And I was just like, whatever they want you to be freaked out. They want you to feel paranoid, not feeling paranoid kind of just makes the whole thing like, just like, who cares? What are they going to find out? Now, when you were, when you were in Burbank in that house, had you started posting as blown for good yet or not? I had not. Okay. Um, and there was also, well, yeah, there was another guy that was living with us as a roommate in the house. 
And that was another friend who had escaped from the imp base like just four or five months after I did. Like, I think he might've left like in April or, or yeah, I think he left in April or May of 2005. Okay. So he was our, so he was there as well. And then in addition to that, Suzette, Shelly Miscavige's sister was living in my guest house at the same house. Wow. So we had myself, Claire, my friend, and Suzette, all escaped Scientology people living in a house together. And then Eric, who had escaped, you know, six months prior to us, um, hanging out as well. Okay, fine. So mid, I think I want to say, let's say 2006-ish. Sometime in 2006, maybe early 2006, is when I start uh, posting as blown for good. Okay. And it's basically the talk of all of the ex-Scientology people that were at the end base. Sure. Because somebody is insane. Somebody is just spilling the tea full time on the internet about everything that was happening at the end base. And it's this mm -hmm. blown for good person. Right. And we'd get together and we'd all talk about this blown for good guy. Like this fucking guy is nuts. Like he's telling shit that no one should tell because they're going to fucking destroy him because that's what they do. And Eric was asking me, you don't know who it is. And da, 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 da. And I was like, I don't know. I have no clue. And the best part <laughs> Is Claire didn't even know who it was. Oh, really? Your own wife didn't. She know had no idea. She had wow. no idea who it was. Okay. Anyway, and I basically go and just post on there. Okay, fine. So, um, I'm trying to think exactly how this went down. Um, eventually, um, it comes out when I go to Germany, like maybe even a year later. Um, Claire obviously knows it's me after a few weeks. I told her, I told Claire it was me, but I didn't tell anybody else it was me. Um, but then I start noticing that there's a lot more ex Scientology people that are kind of reaching out to me. Like ones that I didn't know about and I didn't know were like not uh, totally on board with Scientology. So there's like a lot of different categories of people who escape. There's the people who escape. They still believe in Scientology and they don't want to make any trouble. Then there's the people who leave and they want to make all the trouble. And then there's the people kind of in the middle that just want to do their thing. They don't believe in Scientology, but at the same time, they don't want to cause them any trouble. They still want to talk to their family. So they kind of play along. It's a bunch of nonsense, but either way, most of the people that I was hanging out with were not, didn't believe in Scientology and didn't give a shit, but they weren't causing any trouble. Okay. Okay. We start having these parties. I have this idea that we should have a party. It's called an SP party. <laughs> and we just, we basically just start inviting all of the people that we know are declared to come to this party at my house. And this is where Jeff Hawkins and Amy Scobie and um, just anybody and everybody who was not there anymore. I was like, hey, come on out. We'll hang out. We'll do, we'll go jet skiing. 
We'll hang out at my house, whatever. And we used to have these like at least once a month. It was like a regular thing. And um, we noticed there was some strange things going on at some of these parties. It's just a little, just some oddness going around. A lot of people just kind of hanging out, not talking to anybody, not doing anything, but watching whatever, everything that's going on. And then I started basically smoking out people that I thought were spies. Okay. And this was kind of an ongoing process. And basically anybody who hadn't publicly spoken out against Scientology, I just considered them a spy Uh because that's sort of the line you have to cross. You have to publicly speak out to, uh, to prove that you're not a spy. Right. And so, and there was some people in the group that were saying, oh, don't speak out and come on. It's not that big of a deal. You know, they're going to, if they do something illegal, they'll go, they'll get in trouble, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that's bullshit. We got to We got to end this. We got to talk about it. It's bigger than you and I, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Uh, fast forward, we have the lawsuit. Okay. We're in the middle of the lawsuit. Up until this point, I had been, Eric had been to my house uh, hundreds of times. We'd been out, have we'd been to parties. Um, actually, and this is a great story, because on my birthday, right after I escaped, Eric and a friend of ours and myself went to a release party for a new fashion line. It was called Ed Hardy. And... It was this guy who would, it was basically like a, uh, I don't know what you call it, but like stupid t-shirts and dazzled stuff with skulls on it, whatever. Anyway, it was the biggest thing and they were having this big launch party and it was in Hollywood and it was on Hollywood and Vine and which is literally on the same block as the Hollywood headquarters in in Scientology headquarters in Hollywood. So Vine is on one end of the block and Ivar is on the end of the block. Ivar is where the Scientology building was and Vine is where our party was. I got, I got, it was my birthday. It was my first birthday out of the Sea Org and I got blackout drunk and they threw me out and they threw me out of the party onto Hollywood Boulevard, passed out on the, on the Hollywood Boulevard, on the street in my, and I threw up all over myself. And I was laying passed out in my own vomit. Yep. A homeless guy found me and took my phone and called the last person that I called on my phone and said, Hey, your boy's out here on Hollywood Boulevard. You better get him before the cops get him. (laughs) And then stuck my phone back in my pocket. And so my, so it was the best. I mean, I, I probably, would have gone to jail for sure. Um, or uh, who knows? But either way, I didn't go to jail. And Eric and my friend came out. They did a whole photo shoot of me sick on Hollywood Boulevard. They took a Fam- bunch of pictures of me. Famous photos. Famous photos. Yeah. Yeah. And then they woke me up and we went home. Okay. Fast forward. Now we're in the lawsuit. 
and I'm going and getting dep- uh, doing these depositions every day. And one day they read an affidavit and they read this whole affidavit. And it's basically like the day, the day in Mark, a day in the life of Mark Hedley. Wow. And it was written by Eric. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) This fucking guy is working for Scientology? Anyway, I get out of that deposition and I call him and I'm like, you motherfucker. And he's like, oh, they made me do it. And I didn't tell them anything they didn't know already. And um, I, I, I was going to get, I weren't going to let me talk to my mom if I didn't do it and da, 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 da. And I was basically like, dude, you're dead. You're fucking dead to me. I cannot believe that you, I mean, it, it really, in the, at the end of the day, it wasn't a big deal in terms of what happened with the lawsuit, but it was just the betrayal that he yeah. was basically just dishing to them about my personal dealings. And he, he did know that I got paid for some news article that I did or something. I got paid by news of the world or, you know, I can't remember exactly which things came up, but he knew enough that I knew it was Eric that had written it anyway. So uh, we, we still talked it was just a very, it was basically like, what do you want? You fucking backstabber. You know, if you <laughs> called me, <laughs> but I still talk to him every once in a while. And he actually, he actually confessed to me at one point I went to go meet, he needed something like some, uh, uh AV audio visual from me. And he wanted me to come to his visual effects company and maybe figure out how we could figure out getting him this equipment or I can't remember what he needed, but he needed something for me and he wanted to meet and like kind of make the peace. And I went over to his office and he basically was like, you know who I just got off the phone with? And I'm like, no. And he's like, Tommy Davis. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, look, I got him. I got it. I have a cell number. I got him on speed dial. And he was basically, uh, Tommy would call him and he talked to Tommy and they would basically go over stuff. And I was like, that's so fucking weird. Like how, how do you have a, how is it that you can talk to Tommy Davis? I said, you're, you're 100% a spy. That's the only person that could talk to Tommy would be a right. goddamn spy. Right. No, no, no. I'm not a spy. I'm not a spy. I'm not a spy. Okay, fine. Uh, basically I just was like, I don't care. You're dead to me. It's over. Whatever. At some point, these these files get released. So Marty has got all. He's basically got a ton of dossiers. He's got. It's either the RTC dossier files or the OSA file dossiers or both. But it has communications from the Office of Special Affairs in Los Angeles on Hollywood Boulevard to religious technology center at the base, at the int base. Well, and can, these I are, stop you, can I stop you there and, and say, is it time now? Is, have enough years gone by and the man has a book out now that we can finally reveal that all this shit came from Rinder? 
right? Because when he when he well, it did he, come from Rinder, but Rinder never released it. I think Marty Rinder may have given the files to Marty, yes, but Marty's Marty, the one who released them. Rind, Mike was using Marty because Mar, when yeah. Mike when he says it in his book when he left Scientology, great book you got to read it, A Billion Years by Mike Rinder. When he left Scientology, one of the few things he had on him was his BlackBerry. And he managed to take along, and I don't know if it was on the BlackBerry or if he had some other device with him, but he managed to take a bunch of files with him. And Yeah, no, and, I think and, what it, what it, I'll tell he, you what it was. I know exactly what it was. It was a, okay. it was a USB drive because yeah, that's you it. weren't allowed to, you weren't allowed to have anything on a computer. Because he mentions, it in, his, he left, he mentions it in his book. He says it was a thumb drive. It's in the first paragraph of yeah. his book, a thumb drive. Anyway, there you go. So there you go. He, he, okay. he so he had not, this thumb drive. He, he did not want to release them on his own. He gave them to Marty to release on Marty's blog. Yes. And I believe that's how you got those documents. So tell us about those documents. Okay. So basically the documents, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a folder that says Headley and it has all of the communications for several months going from OSA to RTC and from RTC to OSA. And in these documents, they are basically very excruciatingly detailed reports about everything that I'm doing. And in those reports, is Eric going to OSA? This is when, this is in 2006. Mm -hmm. He's going to OSA and meeting with them every week and sometimes multiple times a week. And he's basically saying, this is what happened last week. This is what happened yesterday. Mark has a birthday party. Okay, good. You got to get into that party. You got to be at that party. You got to look around the house, go through the drawers, do whatever you can at that party. Now, here's the craziest part. The other two people that lived with me were also going to OSA every week. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Not, and, th and those guys weren't really going every week like Eric was. I, I should say that. They had sort of been like, hey, you got to come in. And then they they got asked a bunch of questions like, I don't fucking know, you know, like. I don't know what Mark does. They're like, well, Mark has a brand new car. How did he buy that car? I don't know. He's a, he actually has two new cars. I don't know how he's buying cars. And, you know, I don't know what he's doing for money. And he's home all day. And But all this stuff is in these reports. And so, and this is, and so when, there, when I had that birthday party, there was one, two, three, four, five, Six, there was at least six, possibly eight people at that party that were all working for OSA. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is they didn't know that they were all working for OSA. They only knew they, that one person was, they only knew th them, they themselves was working for OSA. That's how they, that's had, how they work. Yeah, that's, that's the class. Yeah, they had no idea. Thing. None of them knew about each other, right? Wow. None of them knew about each other. So that was the craziest part is you had people reporting on other people that were also spies. <laughs> oh. So one of those guys would say something 
and then they'd get lit up for it by Osa. They'd be like, yeah, we did get a report from Wolfie. Wolfie. There's a guy named Wolfie Frank. He was another spy. And Wolfie Frank, um, somebody asked him something or did something. And he, he, it was, he, was, he was a little like wishy-washy. And so they, he was in there like, we're going to have to pull Wolfie in and, and deal with him. He, he didn't just denounce the, the lies about David Miscavige when, they were, when he heard them. Because I was, <laughs> oh, that was the other thing. We would we would talk shit about David Miscavige full time at these parties, right. and um, and so if you didn't talk shit, then it was kind of like, hmm, that's weird. Why is uh, why is Wolfie uh, quiet? He he got a lot of shit from David Miscavige, but um, but either way, these files have there's a there's a document in there that's called SP no. It's called Spark. Is Spark? Was it Spark? Yeah, Spark and BFG. That's what the document is titled. Spark and BFG. And the reason it was called Spark, because it was about South Park. Oh. And, and they couldn't call it SP and BFG. They had to make something other than SP. Because right, SP right. means suppressive person. Right. So they, they called, so OSA referred to South Park as Spark. And so there's a document in my file, just because it was sent at the same time that a report was going up on BFG to RTC and, and David Miscavige, they were reporting on South Park as well. And they detail out their whole infiltration plan for South Park in this document about how they've contacted the caterers and they find out who takes out their garbage and they've talked to the cleaning company that goes in at night. And they, they've literally trying to figure out all these ways to infiltrate the South Park studios. Yeah. And so I, they could- I, I used those documents in 2011 uh, for a story at the village voice. And they also had a mole. They had a, they, they literally had a young person. Yep in there and they had actually used um oh they had all i remember i actually got confirmation of this who's the who's the trauma guy what's his name again uh, um lloyd kaufman there lloyd kaufman is named in yes it, he's in the document he says we, we might be able to use him to get in or something like that they used him to get a mole in the office or something and i called up lloyd and I said, "Did you know that they did this?" And I, I, my, I, have to, I should look up those articles to see what he said. But I, I remember thinking that he did not realize that they were using him that way. But uh, yeah, well, that a lot of the people in these documents that are being used, they don't know the, to the extent of what's actually going on. Right, and you can see that, and and regardless. The documents, the, the big takeaway from the documents is this freaking Eric Spiesler has been spying on me um, since two, since I got out, basically. Yeah. And, and, and that's actually what I ended up calling him after that. I called him Eric Spiesler instead of Eric Geisler. And it is Geisler. I've heard his name pronounced Geisler. It's 100% Geisler is okay. how his name is pronounced. Okay. So but I pronounce it Spiesler, Eric Spiesler. Anyway, um, so I, I talked to him again. And this is after 
I've been accusing of of him of being a spy for several years. <laughs> and then I'm like, you motherfucker, I got the documents now. And he's like, no, 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 no. I never did that. And I'm like, dude, I've how many times did you meet with Osa? And he was like, oh, I wasn't meeting about you. And I'm like, dude, I have the files. I have the detailed reports from Osa and RTC and what you and my birthday party, all this stuff. Okay, fine. So I write the book. I write the blown for good book. And I think after that book came out, a lot of people were like, oh, you should write another book. And I'm like, okay, I probably will. And I've got a bunch of ideas because they did a bunch of other craziness after I left that I think might have even been worse than the stuff that they, they did to me when I was working for them. Because right. now I don't work for them and they're still doing horrible shit to me. Right. So I wrote a post and I said, hey, guess what? I'm going to write another book. And these are the motherfuckers that are going to be in that book. And at the top of the list was Eric. <laughs> and somebody must have told Eric because right after I posted that, he called me and he said, hey, I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble. And I was like, what? You don't want any trouble? Anyway, he said, we don't need to go down this path. And I was like, dude, this is way bigger than you and me. This is a not, not about what you did to me and what Scientology did to me. This is what Scientology are doing to thousands of people. And they're, do they're doing evil criminal shit. They're wrecking families. They're stealing from old people. They're just horrible. And Eric said, if you say anything about me, this is, th th it's not going to be good for you. And in, in so many words, he gave me this kind of veiled threat. And this is over text. And I'm just like, what? What are you going to do to me? He sent me a picture of me on Hollywood Boulevard at that party, passed out in my own vomit. Yeah. And he said, if I'm in your book, this photo is going to them. I'm going to send them this photo. And what's really crazy is in one of those documents, Eric says that he has some sort of leverage on me that if it comes to it, he could give them. And that's the only thing I could think of that he would have that they would just like be salivating over. Right. And anyway, I laughed. I took the photo. I mean, I didn't even actually, I don't even think I had a copy of the photo because he took it. I didn't take the photo. Mm -hmm. Um. So when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you have that photo, you motherfucker. I was like, you did a photo shoot when you found me? <laughs> I was passed out. I was passed out instead of getting me off into a car and cleaning me up. You guys did a goddamn photo shoot when you, when you got there? Anyway, so I just went ahead and put the photo up on Facebook and said, hey, guess what, guys? Somebody tried to blackmail me with this shit. That's uh, I, I'm just that's trying, I remember, trying to remember, yes. Trying to get ahead of the, you get trying to get ahead of the curve here. This is me on Hollywood Boulevard, passed out in my own vomit at my first party after I got out of the crazy place. Anyway, and um, and people laughed, and it was a fucking joke, and that was the end of it. That's great, yeah, that's so smart. Anyway, regardless, I'm pretty sure 
I'm pretty sure that's, I think that might be the last time I ever talked to Eric. Well, you know, I may have texted, he, he may have texted me over the years and he has spoken to some other people that I am fr still friends with and I still talk to and they kind of tell me, oh, Eric did this or Eric had a kid or Eric got divorced or Eric got married again and Eric had two more kids or, you know, whatever it is. And uh, I'm just like, okay, well, whatever. And, um, and I didn't hear about him until I want to say 2000, I want to say 2018 ish. I got a call from another friend, another Scientology friend who's no longer in Scientology, but still friends with Scientologists. And he said that Eric had called him and it was very cryptic, but that Eric had called him and he knew something about, about some kind of thing that had happened that was horrible. And he knew about it. He was actually at the party where this crazy thing happened. Okay, 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 Mark, I'm going to stop you there because I know where you're going and we have to be careful. We have to be careful. I understand. That's why I'm that's why I'm basically saying that person told me that uh in so many words Eric was still working for Scientology. Right. So so basically what we're talking about is um you know, I wrote about this back in 2011. I you shared those documents with me. It's always really stuck in my mind because it's it's all. I think it's always valuable when we get the actual records of these operations that Scientology runs and how they recruit people's friends to spy on them. It's so horrible. Uh, and also, I think you know, in your story, we got a sense that you know. You know, Eric might have been in a tough spot and and felt that he didn't have a choice. We we have to be open to the idea that, you know, he's well, not. You know, he, no. he may have been under a lot of pressure. But but anyway, it's the same. No, the, and here's the thing, and this is what people may or may not understand. Eric is in the exact same situation that every ex Scientologist is in to some degree or another. Right. They have friends family, business associates, mothers, fathers, children, whatever that are in Scientology. If you leave Scientology, you cannot leave Scientology. You can't say anything about it. You can't, you can't say I'm not in Scientology. You can't do any of that. You have to play nice. If you say anything bad about Scientology, even privately, you could be disconnected from your family. Yeah. And now here is what here, this story actually keeps going because that after that I met up with somebody else and I was at this person's house and we were just hanging out, just chatting, just chilling. And her husband went to Delphi, Oregon. And that's where Eric went to school. And she said this really weird thing. She said, my husband was talking to Eric and Eric said that he was being paid by Scientology to hire ex-Sea Org members. And I was like, huh? That doesn't even make any sense. And then I remembered that all of these people who were leaving the ant base 
Eric was getting them jobs at either the company he was working at or eventually he just started his own company and he would hire these people to do work at the company, visual effects work, whether they knew how to do visual effects work or not, they were working at a visual effects company. And, and this girl said, yeah, evidently they pay him whatever they pay him. And then he takes a portion of that and then he pays the people that work for him with the money that he's getting from Scientology. Now, I don't, this is, I heard this from somebody who heard this from somebody else. So I don't know all the ins and outs of it. And I don't have any documents from OSA or RTC. Well, let's, let's, let's stick to what we do have documents about. I understand, but I'm just saying I heard this story. I just heard this story. And when I had heard it, I was like the last motherfucker to find out because when I told somebody else, Hey, did you hear about, they're like, yeah, you didn't know that. And I was like, what? I was, and they're like, yeah. Why do you think Eric has five people from the base working at his company? They're horrible at visual effects. They're not doing it because they're good at visual effects. So it's basically, basically what you're implying is he hires people dude. to keep an eye on him. Yeah. Babysitter. Dude. Well, look, oh. Let's let's stick to what we know, and that is these documents showing that he was spying on you. And and where you were going earlier, I was steering you away from is that yes, uh, the well the here's reason- here's the end of the the end of the well whatever I don't uh, regardless if today in court there was this thing about not bringing up Scientology, like. If they call Eric Geisler, what else would he possibly talk about? Yeah. There's no, there's no part of his part in this that is not 100% drenched in Scientology. There's just, I don't know how that's going to work. If they can't talk about Scientology, then I'm not sure how well, he's going to say not, anything. The judge, is, the judge is not saying they can't talk about Scientology, but I'm just saying there, the context, there's going to be some deep context. Right. <laughs> well, look, I wanted to, I wanted to establish, I wanted to remind people what we learned a decade ago from you and your documents about how you learned that this guy was keeping an eye on you for Scientology. And that's why. And then more recently, in regards to the Danny Masterson case, um, what you and I have both heard is that one of the percipient witnesses to what had happened to one of these women, not one of the women themselves, but a percipient witness, somebody who's going to come to court and say, I saw X, Y, and Z, and I don't want to get into what he's going to testify to, that that person um, has reported that he was intimidated by Eric. And so that's why I was so shocked to see this guy in the hallway because I knew his background with you and that you had exposed him as a spy with these documents in the, in the village voice. And then all these years later, completely unrelated that there was this witness in the Danny Masson case who reported being intimidated by him. So it was just absolutely stunning to me to see this guy in the hallway at the courthouse last week and then to, even more crazy to see that it was the prosecutor who was leading him into the courtroom. Yeah, that's and wild. Then, that's, and then to, to me, that's just 
so and then much to, crazy. And then to find out that he is definitely on the on the witness list as a prosecution witness. So, I mean, I'm going to guess that, you know, once this witness testifies, and that may be this week um, or early next week, something like that, uh, that they will, he may then testify about being intimidated. And then I think it would be amazing if Eric Eisner came on and said, yeah, I did that, but Scientology told me to. I mean, that would be, that would be such a blow to Scientology. It's always denying that they do these things. It's always great when an operative actually comes forward and says, yes, Scientology had, had Scientology had me do this, they had me do that. Is that what's going to happen in the trial? I don't know. I'm just saying that that seems to be a possibility of what might be going down. Well, here's my fear. Um, Eric has proved that he is a double agent. Okay? That's what we call it in the Scientology spy world. When you're pretending to be an ex and you're not and you're working for Scientology – we call you a spy or we call you a double agent. Um, the, Eric's own reasons for being a double agent are that he, so he can talk to his mom. That's it. That's what he said. I want to be able to talk to my mom. I think, and his brother, his mom and brother live in Clearwater. I mean, <sighs> Tony, his goddamn brother is friends with fucking half the fucking witness list. I don't know about half, but he's definitely friends with people on the goddamn list. How about that? Wow, wow. Um, um, that's how crazy, that's how incestuous <laughs> Scientology is. Eric is testifying. Eric tried to intimidate somebody and he, they're friends on fucking Facebook. Anyway, so um, either way, Someone is going to get screwed when Eric testifies. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not exactly sure who that person's going to be, but somebody who didn't think that they were going to get screwed is about to get screwed. Well, you, um, know, you made a good point that you cannot put this guy on the witness stand unless you're going to talk about nothing but Scientology for 10 minutes or an hour or whatever. And Maybe after Judge Almedo's kind of dressed down people today, and man, she was hot. She was really letting Mueller have it, and also Cohen, but mostly Mueller. Um, maybe he's going to rethink how much Scientology content to include, and maybe he won't end up calling it Geyser. Who knows? No, I mean, he's, I mean, well, I don't know. I mean... The only, uh, I'm just going to tell you, this is the only way Eric is there is if it's bad for Eric not to be there. <laughs> I see. That's it. Well, if he, uh, I that's don't it. Want there's to, no, yeah. there's no good, there's no good, um, there's no good for anybody else necessarily in this besides Eric. I think Eric's going to get the most amount of good that's going to come out of whatever comes out of Eric's mouth. Okay. And and I think the case and I think Scientology both are going to risk having some bad if Eric talks. That's I mean the, it, it, that's the no matter what that's how I see things shaking out. It could be more good than bad for the case or it could be more good for ba than bad for Scientology, but it's going to be a little bit of both for everybody. And the least is going to hit Eric. So 
Um, I don't know. It's just so insane to me that all after all this time, <laughs> it's the same people yeah. doing the same stuff. And the craziest thing is Eric knows Danny. He hangs with the same people Danny hangs with. He's in that same club. All these mm-hmm. people they're talking about, the the Luke Watsons and the Ben Schulmans, and Eric is in with all those guys. When we, you know, when we left in 2005 and we were in LA and we were going to like the Ed Hardy party and all these parties in Hollywood, we went to a club in Hollywood and Danny was at the club. And it was the same night as the Celebrity Center Gala, which happens in Hollywood. And we were like, what the fuck is Danny Masterson doing at a club? He's got, he should be at that CC thing. He's going to get in big trouble. Cause if you're a CC, <laughs> if you're, a, if you're a Scientology celebrity, um, you're going to the celebrity centered gala. Like that's right. your, that's like, it's go time. Like you have, you have one job once a year and it's to show up and shill for Scientology at this event and do the step and repeat and get your picture taken. So it'll get on the, the news wire and Getty images and all that happy hoo-ha. And so Eric asked Danny, he said, dude, how are you here at a party at a club? You're not at CC. He goes, oh, dude, I went to CC right at the beginning of the event and they got pictures of me. And then I got hightailed it right out of there. So as far as they know, I was there. And so Eric knows these people. He's not foreign to these people. So that's the other thing that he's a witness for the prosecution. Um, I don't know how this shakes out for him. Like he, but so that's, so that's a good question I wanted to ask you. So he did this so he could talk to his mom. If Scientology disconnects from him or, declares him a suppressive person because he's doing a suppressive act. However, whatever the reasoning, he's doing it. You can't publicly testify against Scientology or a Scientologist and not have it be a suppressive act. It is a high crime in Scientology. So he might not talk to his brother and his mom and that might be the end of it. Yeah. But he might, but other bad things might not happen to him that Scientology has zero control over. So I don't know. Well, that's but, the thing. We should, we should wait. We'll see when he testifies. I, I have a feeling that there may be some evidence uh, this time and he may feel compelled to help. Well, out. that, I mean, that's what I'm saying to Tony. He, he's not, he's not doing this. Um, he's not doing this cause it's the right thing to do. He's doing this cuz this is the right thing to do for Eric Geisler. Well, so, let's let's just we'll see. Let's we'll see. give the man opportunity to do yeah. the right thing for the right reasons. Well, that's uh, my but, prediction. <laughs> but I wanted people to know the background because I uh, that piece was one of my favorite that I did back in those days was, you know, these these various spy programs coming out and yours was really remarkable. So uh, I tell you what, Tony, Tony, yeah. let's do this. Let's set a date to do another. Either we'll do a podcast or we'll do something after this goes down. Yeah. Absolutely. Whatever goes down with Eric, whatever goes down with Eric, yeah. we'll regroup 
and you and I'll just have like I, I'm not going to print out a lot, but I'll probably print out like maybe four or five told you so tickets to just to yep. give out to people. Yep. Yep. And um, and uh, and if other people have some told you so tickets they want to give me, you can give them to me. But I'm predicting I, I don't know what the Vegas if this is. Can I is there like a what do they call them? Prop bets. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the pro, I don't know what the Vegas, the under over, I'm not a betting person. So I don't know any of the, I don't know any of the, the, uh, vocab to use about any of this, but if, if you could bet on this in Vegas, I'm betting, um, Eric's in a tight spot and he's got to do this. Otherwise he's going to be even in a tighter spot. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think the odds might be in your favor there. So well, let's find out. It shouldn't be long now if, you know, he does get – but like I said, maybe the judges' admonitions might change things. But for now, he's on the list. There's some amazing other people on the list. I'm going to want to get back to you anyway after we hear some testimony from people. It's been already been an incredible uh, trial so far. So, um, Mark Headley, thank you so much. I know it's crazy timing. and We both don't have much time, but thank you for finding an hour – to spend with me and the people of the underground bunker, Mark Headley. Absolutely. Thanks. And, um, yeah, keep, uh, keep on keeping on. And, uh, yeah, those reports, I tell you, Tony, when I get that email, uh, like at a break, I'm like soaking it all up. I'm waiting for the next one. So, uh, yeah, I literally, I, I, I truthfully, I don't really pay attention to a lot of stuff that goes on because I have my own life now and I'm doing my job and everything, but I I'm glued on this one just because I just because I know I want to say I know about 95 percent of the people involved personally in this thing, some way or another. I've met them. I went to school with them. I know them. I've spoken to them. Something somehow, um, and I too am friends with some of the witness list. So, I mean, what the hell, but, um, the Facebook sleuth should really dig into that and see who's okay. doing a chart. Okay. Well, we, and we're going to have lots to talk about afterwards. Tony's like, shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> you know, it's a thing okay, is, dude. Uh, this is, this is also, I'll just, no, I mean, I just want to say that I've kept my mouth shut about so many things for so many years. Oh, I know, Tony. I know. I know. It's, I am the worst. I have to bite my tongue and I bite it, but every once in a while, it just kind of, it just gets a little loose, just a little. So, you know, hey, I hate it. But yeah, either way, um, when this is all over, we're definitely going to do like the, oh yeah, this happened at this time. This happened this. This is when this happened. Like, you could write a whole book just about this case. Well, we'll see. We'll see. No, All I'm right, saying Mark. somebody could. Somebody could. <laughs> I could. Right, anyway, Mark. okay. Have Thank fun. You, um, Talk to you thanks, later. everybody. Bye. Bye. Again, again.